Welcome to the Solomon's Porch Podcast, the podcast from the worship experience of Solomon's Porch at Valdosta First United Methodist Church. We want you to be encouraged and inspired in your faith journey. So sit back and relax, unless you're driving or using heavy machinery, and enjoy. I hear myself, and it's not good. Good morning. Um, welcome to the Perfection Conspiracy. My name is Sarah Bailey, and I'm going to sing for you. <laughs> this is so cool. I feel like Britney Spears. <laughs> okay, because I can't read, and if you could see this font, you would just flip out because it's big, and I still can't read it, so readers. Are you all leaving? You all have to leave. Oh, cheese and rice. Okay. All right. <laughs> Whatever. Okay, I'm Lisa Aguero, and I'd like to share with you a little bit about myself. I'm married to my husband, Oscar, and we've been married for the past 27 years. Neither of us have been married before. Oh, isn't that precious? I look like a Baptist preacher's wife with that hair jacked up. <laughs> you notice I didn't say Methodist. Um, yeah, I was definitely a um, Pentecostal preacher's wife at that point, and that little young, little hot thing. I don't know who I married. He was really hot, but anyway. Uh, neither of us had ever been married before, and we have the perfect life. I have two beautiful daughters, and you all got to enjoy them this morning. They are the love of my life. Um, they've both grown into the sweetest, godliest little women I know, and they make me proud every day. Uh, that was, yeah, a long time ago. Um, uh, Oscar and I have lived in the same house we built 20 years ago, and we moved there when we moved there. Basically, I'm Cinderella. I have the fairy tale. Um, perfect husband, perfect little children. Go ahead, hate me just a little bit. But wait a minute. If my life is so perfect, what could I possibly have to talk to you about? Anyone? Except for the people that know me. What could I possibly have to talk to you about? What am I going to talk to you about today? I have dark chocolate that says you can't guess it. <laughs> no. Yes and no. Anybody in the back? Shannon, what am I going to talk to you about? Do you know? Okay, you can't answer. I'll give you chocolate anyway. What am I going to talk to you about today? Good, good answer. Anybody else? You really don't know? Did I already give you chocolate? Do you want some more? Okay. Y'all, I have more chocolate if y'all want some. I mean, who doesn't want dark chocolate? Okay. Um, while everything I've told you so far is true to a point, it's not the real truth. It's what I would consider a perfection conspiracy. It's a perception of the truth that most people assume from the outside, but it's nowhere near the reality of who I am, what I've been through, what I've overcome with the help of God, or even what my life really looks like in my house. When Shannon texted me a while back, she said, what could you talk about this weekend? And I was like, wow, me? Seriously? I could talk about anything. Um, addiction, depression, not being anywhere near perfect, even when you pretend to be perfect on the outside eating disorders, pretending to have it all together when you really don't, and you end up with your head in the toilet. Or I could talk about being married for 27 years and bring a plethora of garbage from my background and my family into my marriage. I guess my thing is addiction. Many of the friends I have struggle with one type of an addiction or another. So to me, all addictions are the same. They're just a different color. 
We're all addicted to something, whether it's positive or negative, whether it brings us life or death. And for the past 13 years, I've chosen life. And I wasn't going to cry, but God, with your baby sitting on the front row, it's kind of hard. Um, let me, and I apologize for reading. I'm not like Shannon. I can't do this without reading, and you really don't want me to because I'll ramble, and I'll talk about stupid things, obviously. Let me start with a few statistics of perfection that we face on a daily basis. Honestly, to me, the media is doing a great job at assaulting our mental and physical well-being. They're constantly telling us and our children that our value is based on our outward appearance, and we are by no means measuring up which can lead to self-defeating and destructive behavior. Society tells us we must be thinner or more muscular to be loved, accepted, or successful in our lives. Poor self-images can lead to eating disorders, drug or alcohol abuse, cutting, bullying, or sexual addictions. The problem is, the perfect version the media is showing us really isn't realistic. These images are airbrushed. They're airbrushed versions of models who weigh 23 pounds less than the average woman. Nevertheless, millions of teens, and adults for that matter, believe the lies and resort to unhealthy measures to try to fit themselves into that impossible mold. While in my formidable years, my, up, my family, my upbringing did that for me, but nowadays the media is doing it for us. Are you aware? You can put those statistics up, Josh. Over 80% of Americans watch over three hours of TV a day. American children engage in an increasing amount of media use, a trend fueled largely by the growing availability of internet access through phones and laptops. On an average typical day, eight to 18 year olds are engaged with some form of media, totaling about seven and a half hours. Media aimed at elementary school aged children emphasizes the importance of being attractive and the second most common source of such images are advertisements in teen magazines directed at adolescent girls. Research is increasingly, is increasingly clear that media does indeed contribute to body dissatisfaction or eating disorders. However, interestingly, black-oriented TV shows may serve a more protective function. Hispanic and black girls and women who watch more black-oriented TV shows have a higher body dissatisfaction. Hi, I'm sorry, a higher body satisfaction. Eating disorders onset illnesses are median age of 12 to 13 years old. That's your babies. Eating disorders among adolescents were often associated with functional impairment and suicide. 90% of people with eating disorders are between the ages of 12 and 25. Anorexia has the highest mortality rate of any psychiatric illness and is the third most common illness among adolescents. Third. 40% of all 9 to 10-year-old girls have already been on a diet. Nine-year-old girls. 70% of 6 to 12-year-old girls want to be thinner. Three out of four women stated they were overweight, when in reality only one out of four really was. While only one out of 10 high school girls are overweight, nine out of 10 high school juniors and seniors are on a diet. 69% of girls in 5th through 12th grades report that magazine pictures influence their idea of a perfect shape. 80% of women who answered, I know these are kind of long and laborious. Oscar actually told me I should take these out, but I think they're important. 80% of women who answered a People magazine survey responded that images of women on TV and in the movies make them feel insecure. The body type portrayed in advertising as the ideal is possessed naturally by only 5% of American females. And an average U.S. woman is only 5 foot 4 inches tall, weighing 140 pounds. 
The average U.S. model is 5'11", weighing 117 pounds. I don't know about you, but I don't measure up. It's the ugly truth, and I believe the title of this retreat is absolutely perfect. Thank you, Shannon. The totally wrong perception of the perfection conspiracy of my story is that looking at my life from the outside, it's just been so easy and just perfectly perfect. But if you know me or you've ever heard me open my mouth, you know that couldn't be any further from the truth. My dad was a very violent, physically and emotionally abusive alcoholic, and my parents divorced when I was 13. Growing up, I was the ugly duckling. When I was 14, to help my mom pay the bills, I was granted a hardship driver's license so I could get a job. I worked evenings after school and weekends. Being given the freedom to drive around was pretty great, but my mom and I didn't begin, we started not seeing eye to eye because as she was beginning to enjoy the single life, I was being strapped with the responsibility of being a parent to my younger brother and having to assume a lot of adult responsibilities. I ended up fighting a lot with my mom and moved out to live with my dad, who by that time was married to wife number two. I thought surely the new life would be the change he needed and I would get the perfect family or the perfect dad I always wanted. I was wrong. After all, his new wife liked me all right, but after living there just a few weeks, she accused me of stealing her cocaine out of her purse. So while they were both at the bar that night, I packed everything I owned and I um, ended up moving in with my grandparents. I lived there until I graduated from high school. At that point in my life, I'd finally found the peace and security I had been looking for. Looking back, I know that move was what brought me the emotional and spiritual security that I would cling to from then until now, and that the prayers of my grandparents kept me from heading down a worse path than I did. After high school, I ended up moving to Chattanooga, and I got a full-time job. About that time, I had begun dabbling with a dangerous and extremely addictive self-abusive behavior, bulimia. It was great. It was great at the time. I could eat anything I wanted, get rid of it, and not suffer any consequences, or so I thought. I thought it was the best thing in the world. Better yet, my roommate was also bulimic, so we had binge parties, and we never even thought about it becoming a controlling force in our lives or consider the possibility of future negative effects. Brock forward a few years, I meet Oscar. Meanwhile, by this time, my dad has already married a 17-year-old, and I was 18. Sorry, married and divorced a 17-year-old. My mom was well on her way to husband number three. Before I go any further, let me tell you that my dad married wife number four, five, and six. She was the same lady. Go figure. (laughs) Sorry. Oh, sorry. While I'd been bulimic for about six years when I met Oscar, something clicked in me that never had before. I was happy, content, and felt safe for the first time since I lived with my grandparents. We were married a year after our first date, and I thought bulimia was behind me for good. Unfortunately, sometimes when we bury something, unless we're pretty sure it's good and dead, it has a way of working its ugly head back up to the surface. A few years after I'd had both of my girls, it emerged its ugly head again. One day, I was dealing with a pretty significant fallout family issue, and I felt like someone had kicked the life out of me. They were pulling the rug out from underneath me and had removed any stability I had achieved at that time. The thought to purge came over me. So, of course, I did. It was the only thing I felt like I could control in my life at that time, when my life was absolutely spiraling out of control. Now, I'm talking. At this point, I'd been married 12 years. I had two sweet little babies that were two and four. And I had the... You all really shouldn't be here. Y'all made me cry. Stop. If you just, like, turn your head and face that direction, that'd be great. 
I had the perception at that point of the perfect life. When I started throwing up again, it was like an avalanche. I couldn't stop. It reminds me of Matthew 12, 44, that says, When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes to arid places seeking rest, and it doesn't find it. Then it says, I'll go back to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. That was me. Then it goes back, and it takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and they live there. And the final condition of that man or woman is worse than the first. That was me. At that point, I was throwing up anywhere from three to four times a day, even more if I could. I couldn't stop, and believe me, I tried. I'd throw up if the sun was out or if the grass was green or the sky was blue. If I had a good day or a bad day, it just didn't matter. It was the only thing I had the slightest bit of control over. I'd wait until the girls would go down for a nap, and I'd throw up. I'd hide in the pantry or I'd sneak outside and eat a gallon of ice cream at a time. I'd go to the store and I'd put the ice cream back so Oscar wouldn't know I ate it all. I'd hide it under things in the freezer. I'd even go up outside to throw up. It was gross. It was disgusting. It was a nightmare. I begged Oscar to send me anywhere for help. Please send me somewhere. I'm a wackadoodle. His response at that time was, baby, why don't you just quit? Uh, just quit. Okay. Oh, I did not think of that. Brilliant. No. Wait. No. Unfortunately, when your husband's working crazy hours to build his practice, he's taking call and he leaves at 6.30 in the morning some days and he gets home at 11 o'clock at night, if at all, and you don't have any family here to help with your kids, you do the best you can. I couldn't leave. I couldn't go to a facility for help. I had to trudge on and do the best I could. So I went to the first practical place I could think of, my priest. I was Catholic at the time, and that's another story altogether. Considering now, I truly believe I'm a, I'm a uh, spiritual mutt. I'm a Castle Methel Luther Baptocostal. <laughs> but I digress. Back to the priest. I told him of my predicament and that I was bulimic. And he said, um, I'll be glad to pray for you. He was Catholic. I mean, he was a little Irish priest. He was so cute. I'll be glad to pray for you, Lisa, but um, you are nuts. You need help. And so I let him pray. He said I needed professional help, and he couldn't give it to me. Now, I was raised by a grandmother who prayed for everything. Um, She prayed about everything, for everything, and believed for everything, and she saw results. Um, I'm not sure who had the least amount of faith that day, him or me, but needless to say, nothing happened. So then I went to the shrink. He said, there's nothing wrong with you. You're a bored doctor's wife. You need a vacation. He said, "Um, you're just a little stressed because you're raising your kids and you feel alone because of Oscar's schedule and you don't have any help. Maybe a week's vacation would help get rid of your problem. And he'd be glad to prescribe an antidepressant, but he felt just a little time away would be what I needed. Guess what? It wasn't. Would you believe I paid for that? Anyway, I continued my pattern pattern of binging and purging until one night when Oscar was in Chicago taking his board exams. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning because I had a late night of binging and purging when I ruptured my uvula. not sure if you know what I'm talking about, but that's that little hangy thing in the back of your throat. Um, Let me tell you, I bled like a stuck pig. And as I laid there with my head on the toilet, wondering whether this would kill me or not, the scripture 2 Peter 2.22 came to my mind. Of them, the proverb is true. A dog returns to its vomit. A sow that is washed goes back to wallowing in in the mud. And honestly, I felt like God said to me that night, Sister, you either get help my way or you're welcome to die with your head in the toilet. 
at that time, my, hus- my cousin had been telling me about a place in Jacksonville to go to for healing prayer, Christian Healing Ministries. I'd blown her off more than once, and I told her I felt like I had a carbohydrate insensitivity, or maybe I was just allergic to carbs, but inner healing wasn't what I needed. Yeah, right, you can't make that up. So that night, I knew what I had to do. The next morning, I called Christian Healing Ministries, and I made my first appointment. I started going to Christian Healing Ministries about once every few weeks for prayer. The thing about Christian Healing Ministries is it's free. They don't charge. They said, how can we charge you for prayer? It's a gift God gave us. We can't charge you for it. You make donations if you have it or if you want to or if you feel like it's a good thing, but they don't charge. Um, The people there were just like you and me. Normal moms, dads, aunts, and uncles. No seminary degree, just spirit-filled believers. I started getting better a little bit at a time, but I knew there was more because I would dabble with my bulimia here and again. So finally, September 10th, 2003, I went for a three-day intensive prayer session. I've never been the same. At that time, I was about 20 pounds thinner than I am now, but when I looked in the mirror, that's not what I saw. I saw myself much heavier than I was. I thought I was disgusting. I wouldn't wear short sleeve shirts because I was self-conscious about my arms. I hated bathing suits because my thighs were just disgusting. I was a waif. But that weekend, two people committed to me their entire weekend, and I began to see the lies I had believed all my life, that I wasn't good enough, I wasn't smart enough, even though I graduated magna cum laude in college and summa cum laude in PT school. I wasn't pretty enough. I'd never amount to anything that I was looking for the love of a father that I had never received, and that by turning to food, alcohol, or men, I was trying to fill that empty void. I never had. I did fill some sort of a little bit of a void when I met Oscar, but there was still something missing that needed healing that weekend. Following that weekend, I can honestly say I began seeing myself completely differently. I learned to eat what it felt like to be hungry, not just eat to fill a hole. That no matter what I weighed, I mattered. I was loved, not just by my husband and my children, but by God. And even though I had made mistake after intentional mistake, God loved me relentless, and he loved me still. I saw that my addiction to bulimia was an idol, something I had put before God. After that weekend, I started taking baby steps to change. I began to parent differently, conduct myself differently with my friends and my husband and my family. But more than that, I started turning to God rather than turning to food. It took me about three months even to tell Oscar what had happened that weekend because not being raised in a Pentecostal background, his Catholic faith was very limited in prayer. I was afraid if I really told him what happened, he might take my children away and put me in green leaf, like being a raging wackadoodle bulimic wouldn't have done it. It took me even longer to tell my close friends. But if you think that I had an immediate shut-off valve because I was healed that weekend and that everything happened immediately, it wasn't. Old habits die hard, and Satan fights even harder to keep you in a destructive behavior and in a stronghold. I will tell you I was totally and completely healed that weekend in Jacksonville, but if you continue to walk near the edge of a cliff, you keep pushing that envelope, every now and again you'll slip and fall. I did, several times. Do I think that... Because I slipped and fell a few times, God didn't heal me that weekend? Nope, I don't. I believe God healed me immediately, but I am a stubborn mule, and I made choices that were not in my best interest every now and again, and I had had to learn to make different choices over and over again, resulting in a different outcome. You all know that saying, insanity is making the same choices over and over and expecting different results. I wouldn't call mine insanity. I'd call mine brain-dead stupidity, and I was queen of the stupid train. 
At the time, I was in a Bible study with about 15 other women, and I struggled a little bit here and there. Oscar said, hey, babe, why don't you go back to Jacksonville? Maybe it didn't take. And I thought about it for a split second, and I said, no, either God's real, and he's here, and he's everywhere, or he's nowhere. So either these girls are going to pray for me, or they just need to shut up, and they need to quit having a Bible study, and they need to quit calling themselves Christian. So that's what they did. I went to Bible study that day, and I told them the same thing. They didn't like what I said, but I didn't really care. They had me get on my knees that day, and they surrounded me, putting their hands on me, and prayed for my final deliverance. That was February 16, 2006. But again, old habits die hard, and I still struggled occasionally while learning to walk in a new and different way. October 15, 2007, nine years ago, was the very last time I've ever thrown up, and I haven't since. I'm lying in church. That's bad. Uh, I've snot everywhere. Anyway, that was the last time I ever threw up, and I haven't even thought of it since. When, when I was writing this talk, it's like remembering the plot of an old movie. I don't even remember who she was. Life is still hard. But I can assure you addiction is harder. Shan, I'm sorry. I promised her I wouldn't cry. No addict wakes up every morning wanting to believe lies they do or behave the way they do. It's a constant and very horrifying fight leaving behind great carnage. Now, I still struggle with being a woman. Not measuring up, not being the prettiest, the smartest, being a godly woman, or acting like Allison Crenshaw. Trying. Good God, who could even do that? Not me. Or even being a good wife or a good mom. But now I know the difference between the voice of the truth and the voice of the enemy. Believing the lies that bombard us from way too early of an age. Learning to tell the difference between the two is difficult, but to tell you the truth, if we really do what we're supposed to do, we read God's word, apply it, meditate on it, and really believe it, he does what he says he'll do. He heals us, he redeems us, and he changes us from the inside out. I've shared with you just about all of my insecurities (laughs) and many of the lies I've believed. As a matter of fact, Shanna read this before, and she said, you realize you're telling really personal things, and you're going to have to say this in front of people. I was like, all righty then. All righty then. But what, li- what are the lies you believe? Do you think you're not pretty enough? Because God says he's enthralled by your beauty. Psalm 45, 11. Are you feeling like uh, Forrest Gump? A little stupid. You have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2, 16. You feel a little bit overweight, a little imperfect. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalm 139, 14. You feel worthless. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I could go on and on, but that's how you start making conscious decisions to change the way you think by replacing lies with truth. And you begin believing what God says about you instead of what your enemy says. I've typed out a few, of the other, a few others for you on a handout. But ladies, we're in a battle. When you're in a battle, your enemy is not nice, polite, nor does he fight fair. He strikes silently, quickly, unfairly, and deadly. It's ongoing, and he's not just striking us. 
he's getting our kids. Do you know, are you aware that by the age of five, kids are becoming more and more aware of their body and they feel like they need to lose weight? We're, we are inundated with information that's attacking our babies, telling them they too are imperfect. And I don't know about you, but that really ticks me off. The world says we're imperfect, we're not good enough, and we simply don't measure up. But God doesn't tell us to be perfect the way the world does. His word for perfect is teleos. I may have butchered it, but I tried. It means complete in all parts, mature from going through the necessary stages to reach the end goal. Think metamorphosis of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. Developed into consummating completion by fulfilling the necessary process or spiritual journey. It's reaching the end goal or aim, and it's well illustrated with the old pirate's telescope unfolding or extending out one stage at a time to function at full strength capacity. It's complete, whole, it's not perfect. I'd much rather learn to live out of being complete and maturing rather than striving for perfection, because honestly, it's exhausting. Philippians 3:12 through 16 says, Not that I've already obtained this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Sisters, I do not consider myself yet to, to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Hebrews 10.14 tells us that by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And that word for holy means set apart from sin in the world. Addiction is something I continue to see over and over with my family and friends. Whether it's my cousin who's morbidly obese and struggles with food addiction and being sedentary and she's taught her kids the same bad behaviors, or my brother who lost his life because of his alcohol addiction. My best friend's in her third stint of rehab and I pray for her daily. I've come to the belief that truly we're all addicted to something, trying to fill that God-shaped hole. We can be addicted to being a victim because of something that happened in our past that we can't get over or we can't forgive. We can be addicted to a plethora of things, but the bottom line is putting anything before God, making it an idol, breaks his number one commandment, to have no other gods before me. And his number two commandment, not to make an idol. I even believe that his number seven commandment, do not commit adultery, is broken with an addiction because we're loving our addiction more than our first love, Christ. To my core, I really do believe that addictions are all the same. They're just a different color. Because I can tell you now I'm basking in freedom. It's a beautiful thing. And now I'm addicted to that. I'm addicted to the truth of God's word, his power, his grace, his forgiveness. I still don't have anything together. If you know me, you know it's true. But without a shadow of a doubt, I know who does. He loves us all the same. He died for every one of us and has freedom at the door waiting for us. It's a beautiful and glorious thing. I would never presume that I could ever teach you anything because I really don't know anything except for what God's done for me in my life. But I once heard Beth Moore describe herself as a beggar who was just showing another beggar where she found bread. That's me. I found bread, and I want to show you where I found it. Another thing I like to say over and over is the more I know, the more I realize I don't have a clue. But I do know that God is for us, and he's for you. He truly is the only perfection I want to pursue, and I pray my story encourages you in some small, small way. God bless you all, if you'll pray with me.
Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your strength. And thank you that you are for us. Thank you for my story of healing and redemption in face of obvious rebellion over and over. I pray it touches somebody and it heals the heart of somebody here. I pray that they didn't hear me, that they only heard you, especially in my rambling. And I pray you are glorified in the process. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Solomon's Porch Podcast. We hope you heard some good practical news in this episode that you can apply to your life. If you'd like, we'd love for you to review our podcast on iTunes and share it with your friends. You can also support our ministry by going to theporchvaldosta.com slash give. Until next time, stay classy, listening friends.